All right. Random episode discussion that we're going to have today is just kind of our breeding plans for the season, what we're noticing in the breeding room, all that good stuff. Um, so, Nathan, how many pairings do you have planned for this season? So if I really wanted to push it, I could do three. But uh, just to be safe with one of my females, I'm going to do two this year. What do you mean be safe? Uh, I have a female that's just coming up on age about four and a half years old. And uh, she's just stayed really, really small, uh, especially compared to my two other females. So I'm just going to give her another year to mature, make sure her body tone looks where I'm comfortable pairing her and then I'm ready to go. But if I'm not comfortable with how she looks, I'm not going to throw a male to her. How is, uh, like, is she showing any signs of like wanting to ramp up food or anything like that? I mean, she's always got a good food response, but no, nothing, nothing compared to the two females that I'm trying to cycle right now. Oh, okay. Her, her food response is pretty. So it's, it's to, what okay, it's always yeah, been. Cool. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer that regardless of like what we try to do to manipulate whatever they want, um that they're they're gonna breed when they are ready. Um a good example is <clears throat> uh my Kaiwati female who just laid. She was no bigger than she was earlier last season. Um and I tried breeding her last season uh, when she was over three and a half years old, but a little under four and started ramping up her food. And she just like didn't go. She had the size, right? But like she just didn't go. And so I took her off of food, uh, like of, of a little increase of heavier feeding and just waited um, and then kind of started that process over again. And uh, she decided to go this year. Right. And like I said, like no big difference in like her size or maturity, maybe sexual maturity. Sure. But, um, I'm a firm believer that just like when they're ready, they're going to go right. Like even if we try to force them to go early, uh, it it usually ends up not happening or, or most of the time probably end up with a bad clutch. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to change anything as far as her feeding schedule. I didn't do a drought period or anything like that to try to uh, throw her into any kind of cycle. But I know if you're doing normal feeding, sometimes they can still cycle if they're ready. So if I notice her go off food and see it, see the signs of wanting to pair, then I'll throw a mail to her. But I just really doubt I'm going to see that this year. Can you explain to our listeners, uh, I know we talked about it in one of our earlier episodes, but what do you mean by drought feeding? Uh, So generally I'm feeding my females that are uh, about adult size, um, about 14 to 17 days, every 14 to 17 days. Um. I'll extend that just a little bit for a month or two uh, to about just a feeding that leaves a, a smaller lump about once a month. Okay. And then after that, I'll do that maybe for two feedings and then I'll go into some heavier feedings where I'm instead of feeding every 14 or every 17 days, I'm feeding every 14 days. Okay, so just just to recap, and, and so like a drought mm-hmm. in feeding is literally giving them like the snake this psychological thought of like there is less food than usual um, and offering mm-hmm. food once a month in a smaller meal to get them to kind of increase that food drive for it. And then after that, hitting them with a larger or more frequent meals to give them the psychological aspect of like, oh, there's a surplus of food. And that is is uh, your theory of or a theory of getting them to cycle and feel like it's a good time to start building some follicles. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, there's there's some people in my first mentor who just feeds normally year round and his females cycle or they don't cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And he's had good luck just doing it that way. So, you know, there's, 
not a, a complete science to this thing. No. Um, and it really comes down to knowing your animals and, and, um, and I mean, sometimes to be honest, just luck, uh, of whether a snake yeah. wants to go a certain season or not, you can do everything that people think is right and, and it work out. And then you could do everything that people think is right and it just not work out. But what I'm hearing though, is that you're eerie on the side of caution because your, your female still seems a little bit small and you just want to be more careful. That and I'm in my first few seasons, and I'm always just going to play the safe than sorry route. Yeah, that's not a bad way to to do that. Um, for those of you tuning in, um, if you guys are actually wanting some breeding support, this is your first year. Um, go ahead and join our Patreon. Uh, Nathan and I are also somewhat new at breeding between the both of us combined. This is both of our third season, so we have six years of experience combined, um, which is very very. Uh, early in our breeding stage, but we've both been able to pump out successful clutches um, and um, have been able to get females to cycle well. So uh, we want to help you guys that we are just maybe a few steps ahead of you and want to, uh, you know, we're not very far removed of the difficulties of, of breeding and just kind of the nuances and the new stuff. So join our Patreon. Um, and for those of you also listening, on Spotify or Apple Music, make sure to follow, rate those episodes, and if you'd like to join us on video, go ahead and subscribe to the Retake Lounge. Throughout this video, go ahead and comment, like, subscribe, um, and uh, yeah, we're happy to have you guys here. So, um, Nathan, I so tell me a little bit about the pairings that you have, and then I'll go into kind of what my breeding season looks like here. Yeah, so uh, running two females, mine, mine should be pretty quick just because everything shares uh, genetics, kind of. So uh, I have a 2016 uh, purple albino het annery from Eric Lee. She's 75% Kalatoa, 12.5% Jampea. I believe she traces back to Rennick stock. Um, I'm going to be pairing her to uh, my Phantom Tiger. He's a 62.5% Kalatoa. So we'll still have some nice high percentage Kalatoa babies, just a tiny bit of Jampea sprinkled in there. Um, and then he's also Pos Het for Albino. So I'm really hoping that we can uh, hit some Albino Phantom stuff this year. Um, Garrett said there's a really slim chance that he would be head annery. I'm not counting on that at all, but hit the odds gods kind of a thing, and we could be looking at uh, snow. Yeah, I got a buddy of mine, Paul, that had some animals from uh, Bob Clark and with no sign of being het for for albino or anything and um, just wasn't even expecting it um, and landed albinos in a recent clutch that he had. So you know that sometimes if there's like a long long line of history of you know the pos 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 heads you know there's always still a pos chance right <laughs> um i i think the the chance of him being albino is a little bit higher than the annery for sure um just with previous pairings with uh what produced him but uh doing that and then uh also Hold on pairing up to my before you oh. go on to your next one i just want to say that i think superdor phantom albinos is going to be sick i'm excited to see that i, I what's it's surprising i don't think we've i was going to give you plenty plenty more time to talk about them <laughs> because that's that's what i'm shooting that, for that's that's insane and i think about it and i'm trying to think have i seen someone post a high percentage or even a 50 percent or 62.5 percent you know superdor uh phantom albino and i don't I, I can't recall any. Not that I can think of offhand. I know there's a lot of uh, phantom pairings being done yeah. right now. Um, but yeah, great small genetics. Both these females are really nice and small. Uh, so the purple, she's uh, just a touch over nine foot, maybe 12, 15 pounds, something like that. She's not too heavy. 
Um, so the other female that I'm going to run, she shares the same genetic 75% Kalatoa, 12.5% Jampea, traces back to the same line. Um, got her from Richard Bilbo. She's an Annery Poss Het uh, Albino. So I'd like to uh, prove out her Poss Het. Obviously, I would need him to prove Poss Het as well, but, you know, at least get some really cool het stuff in there at least phantom head uh, annery phantom head albino that kind of yeah. thing i think that's going to be a really fun project to see that phantom albino stuff that's exciting um yeah so if you want to get into snow phantoms these babies could be pretty pretty cool man a snow phantom that would almost be like a if you can hit some of those high white snows that i've seen around like i think Someone, uh, someone who's usually into mainlands just got, uh, a, I think it's maybe Shane. Um, but I think he just landed a snow that is like ridiculously white, but could you imagine the phantom markings of a like lighter yellow white snake with the snow and having the like light purplish, you know, phantom pattern. Yeah. I think that's cool. going to be an awesome animal. I like that project a lot. Um, what, what like behavior changes do you notice during breeding season that you're going through right now that that's fun? Um, so the purple, she's, she gives it to me easy. Um, I I don't have any kind of big behavioral changes. Yeah. She's definitely looking for food more, but I can interact with her in about the same way I do year round. Um, the annery though she gets a little bit more heightened during this time. So I could feed her a big old rabbit, uh, give her a nice lump and go into clean her cage two days later, get the pee out and she's huffing and puffing, you know, she'll buck me. She's just uncomfortable during this time and, uh, doesn't, doesn't really want to be messed with, just wants to eat, digest and, and get ready. I think uncomfortable is a really good word. My Kaiwadi was like that this first season, her breeding anytime. Like I could like, like, like blow wind on her and she'll just like flex her whole body snap up and, and, uh, never once struck at me. Never once was like mean or anything, but was just Mm -hmm. like, please leave me alone. And I'm like, but you're sitting in a bunch of crap. I got to clean your cage. Like I'm over here. So if you go back and you go onto my Instagram, I don't know if there's a way we can edit this in really quick. Uh, You're testing my skills here, but I'll give it a shot. Adler. Oh, 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 that's no, a, no. That's we'll a we'll, we'll definitely Sorry. try Adler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, I posted a little reel of just throwing her back in the cage the other day, and just as I'm like leading her back into the cage, you can see her kind of bump and like go quickly into the cage for a second. And that's about what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, she'll get vocal too. Like I said, she'll give long hops Those of air. Deep breaths. She'll let you know, Hey, just like, come on, just like, right. Let's be over. But every time she gets back in that cage and she realizes, Oh, I got clean water, clean paper. Right. Right. <laughs> she's 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 very appreciative every time and uh looking to be cleaned right now, so I'm sure she'll let me know that she's not too happy to be taken yeah. out, but I I feel like my I feel like my Slayer, my pure Slayer female is the same way. Um uh so and I haven't had her for many years, so like I I ended up receiving her last year and she was already gravid um, and she was like that, but clearly she was gravid. But then I noticed this year as I was putting more weight on her, trying to get her up to weight, she started, she went off of food. And as soon as she went off of food, same thing, I touch her with a hook and she would just, you know, not want to be messed with. She'd go up on her huge shelf. And when she's up on that shelf, getting a 14 foot snake off of a shelf uh, that has a lip to it is like at that point, she wins. I clean, I clean the bottom yeah. of it. And then whenever I keep an eye on her and I see her on the bottom is when I'll just grab her and clean the top off, uh, after. So, um, but yeah, 
So there is one downside to those really really nice shelves that you have. Yeah, like and I, and I talked to I talked to Mark about like, "Hey, can we get them with no lip?" And he's like, "No, the lip is part of the support on the side." The, yeah, it's integral. like you you got to have that lip. Um uh so what I try to do to make up for it is I just pack it really heavy with Repti chip all the way to the top so that it kind of makes up for it. Um but if they don't want to come out, they just throw the Repti chip everywhere. So um uh, I wonder if you could just have Mark cut you just a, a custom piece that fits right into that space. Oh. So it just fills the gap. That's actually not a bad idea. I mean, I'm sure you have a little spare PVC from all the oh, yeah. scraps and stuff. So it's a possibility, yeah. just, just an idea I'm throwing out there. Mark, if you're listening to it, give me a call. <laughs> But what do I know? I haven't built a single cage besides uh, just throwing some screws right. into some PVC. Um, so. so, so yeah, I mean, I noticed the same things. A lot of my females, so like my wild caught Kalatoa is like the opposite. She becomes a total sweetheart. Like for like the entire year that she doesn't go off of food and after she's laid, she's a monster when it comes with wanting to eat. And she's always just difficult to work with when she has that kind of feeding response 24 seven. But I, I, I've always been able to tell throughout the three years that I've had her. Uh, well, this is the third season that I've had her. Um, she is when she's getting close, she becomes a total sweetheart. Like I, she's a snake that I literally, I, I, I have before, I don't make a habit of it, but I had my helper over and I just, I, I opened up the cage and I put my hand on top of her. Like she's like, she's that, puppy dog tamed during this like yeah. i know that something's up with her and she's building follicles when she just uh her mood completely changes and she's a sweetheart to work with um and so yeah i think just us talking about that is actually a, just a good point for people getting into breeding it's just like the number one thing you could do is just watch out for any type of behavioral changes uh some do it some don't but if you notice a big behavioral change around cooler months or if you're increasing feeding there's a chance that they might be going through those motions uh, I want to hit on behavioral change since you brought it up uh, with your males. Yeah. So last year I was unsuccessful in my pairings and it's most likely due to the fact that I was working with a male that was about 18 months old. Um, he had some decent size to him, looked like he potentially could pair, but he wasn't showing some of the signs and attitude that I was seeing from mm -hmm. the other male uh, that I had worked with in the past. Now, the other male that I would worked with in the past was a bit of an exception. He was uh, just a fun snake to deal with all around. But even within that year, between then and now, um, he's become a totally different snake. You can just see him reacting to things in the room different, smelling the air different. He's just much more active. So I have much higher hopes for him this year. I haven't done any intros yet, but I just have a lot higher hopes just based on his activity yeah. level. And when I'm interacting with him, it's a little bit different. I'm having to watch him just a tiny bit more. I can just sense that he's looking for something yeah, right now that, that's a good way to put it um my males um so one thing that i noticed across the board with all of them that are breeding mature and that I, I would say all of my males that are two and a half years or older um they become pacers in their enclosures um and i will say that like handling them um I had a wild caught Kalatoa, um, and he was like your stereotypical male breeder season combative type of snake with me, like bucked me kind of would do those deep breaths and hiss. Didn't like to the point where like, it was safe for me to make sure he was on top of the females enclosure. So I just opened both doors and guided him in. That was my way of doing it the safest way possible just because mm -hmm. I had gotten him out before during breeding season and he's doing this one, right? And this is not a very big snake or anything, but he just, he was not very fond of me uh, during breeding season. And so I, I managed it that way. But uh, I would say a wild caught retic is probably the, 
exception to most of what you see in in cap captive bred animals like i think most people are aware of like males can be dangerous in my experience none of my males that i have right now ever make me nervous i think i make myself more nervous um because i can the one thing i notice is they pace more and then when i go to get them out they might be just like the females more sensitive to the hook and kind of just like do this but once i have them out um they're they're pretty like i have an f1 philippine um that is like a total like sweetheart he's it's really weird like and i have i have a bunch of females like in my garage that we're cycling and are cycling right now and um he i i thought that i would have to be a little bit more on guard and and again i don't ever get complacent um but but surprisingly my males have been fairly easy to work with um now my kalatoa tk kalatoa that is two and a half years old he kind of was showing the same signs that your male that was 18 months was doing and i think that might be just his size i don't know but he just he did not show the major arching or or anything like that that some of my other males that were older or larger would do but um to the point where like i knew my female calto was building follicles she was off of food and I'd put him in and he would be on the complete opposite side of the six foot enclosure. And so I decided to put her in my very, the very large ARS rack. And Mm -hmm. that was when I put him in and that was his, his rack that I have for him. And I put her in there and that was when I started opening the rack and seeing them cuddling and, and tails close together. And so I think it was a confidence thing for him of just feeling very vulnerable in a large enclosure. And people are going to hear racks and retics and be like, oh my God, what are you doing? But people have to understand these, these ARS racks that Lucas is using is almost as big as a lot of the PVC. It's almost six foot long. Some people have. Yeah. He literally takes, he takes up like a tiny bit of the corner has the rest of the rack. (laughs) I have uh, two hides in there and I have like a, a, a little PVC thing for him on there to climb. I mean, he's got, uh, I, what I believe he has room to, uh, use the little bit of height that the racks have. I think they're like a foot tall. Um, and he's able to, he has the two hides that he sits on top of. He has a PVC thing that he climbs on. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, he, he's still, you know, he's five feet in an almost six foot, you know, it's, it's longer than he is his length. So, um, yeah, 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 but no, that's okay. I mean, I appreciate that because people will be like, why are you keeping your snake in racks? They're big racks. Um, uh, so yeah, when I did that, I noticed that he would spend more time with her. And, um, and again, the racks big enough where she covers one side, he could, he has like three and a half feet of room to be nowhere near her if he wanted to. Um, and he still chose to, to lay up with her. And so now I think she, she actually, I didn't notice an ovulation or lock, but she is, uh, really, really big and she just shed. So we'll see, um, about that. I'll just go into my pairings that I'm doing. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, so how, how many to start? If like everything, if everything (laughs) works out perfectly, which it won't. Um, I could put, I could potentially by like February, I could potentially have five or six females going. Um, and so I'm actually in the process of having to buy a a large hatchling rack, uh, because if I do have four to six of those females going, uh, I probably am going to have like 60 or plus babies. Um, okay. So let's start with your Kiowati since we have. Yeah, so she was a uh, F1 paired with an F1 Kayuati from Theron Lance over at Grassroots Reptiles. Uh, I was really excited to do that breeding partnership with him. Um, and I'll go ahead and just share the information that I'm really excited about. Um, there was this like rumor mill um, from uh, the original breeder of the wild caught animals that they produced an annery looking Kayuati that was without a doubt annery. And so um, he was saying, you know, that the babies from both clutches, since they were from uh, the same wild caught parents, um, 
were were Pos Het Annery, and I, at the time just was like, okay, cool. Like I, I wasn't gonna count on it, but then um, Brian Farley uh, did a pairing with a sibling to my female, uh, 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 her sister, to an eighty-seven and a half percent platinum Annery Kalatoa, um, and made Annery babies. So I was like, okay, so Annery Kaiwadis are right. a thing. <laughs> so um Theron's male uh is a year younger but from the same wild caught pairing. Um and so we might be producing visual I mean it's a long shot. They're both poshets, but we could be producing what people would see as Anri Kaiwadi. Um so that's really, really exciting. Um so that's one pairing that eggs are on the ground. Um, my Slayer female has done some weird inverting, but she's also a very weird animal, uh, that I got from reach out reptiles. She's just a very lean animal and is extremely hard to read with breeding season. And then plus ask anybody who's worked with Slayers, they're, they're just as hard to get to breed successfully as Sulawesi's are. Uh, they're, they're not for some reason Slayers. Uh, are just notoriously a, a little bit more difficult to breed. And maybe that's the uh, Saputriae that's the difference in them. And we don't really understand them. And we're treating them like your standard retic. And maybe there are some temperature differences. Um, but I have her paired with uh, Eric Lee's 87.5% Kalatoa Platinum Annery. Um, another surprise annery clutch that might be happening. Uh, my female comes from like a long loss bloodline of, of what used to be called mercury before like annery was a thing, uh, that retic. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. Retic ranch had just a pair of wild caught animals, uh, that he bred, uh, wild caught slayers that he bred and produced these mercury animals. And so, um, what was cool was Chris McVicker paired a, uh, he paired two siblings together that those animals came from my female Slayer a while back and did doing that pairing produced an annery looking animal. So I hit up Eric and I was like, Hey, I don't have an annery male and would like to have something high percentage. And Eric was super on board. And so, um, She's again off of food. She did a weird invert a couple days ago. Uh, again, not an ovulation I witnessed, um, but you know, so that's going to be like the Kalatoa. If I get eggs, cool. If I don't, it is what it is. Did you get uh, confirmed locks? I on saw that tails inter like intertwined, and I the male was like really trying hard when I was first doing intros. He was moving around her, doing his thing. He's a very good breeder, um, and spurring, yep, and doing all that. All that. Um, Never saw like lock to lock where I felt a hundred percent, but I saw, I, yeah. I have a picture that of his tail wrapped around the bottom of her, but I didn't, I couldn't see her vent, couldn't see his vent. Um, and then she shed about two weeks after that. And now I have the male in there right now and she's on the shelf and he's on the bottom completely uninterested. So maybe, um, or maybe she's throwing a partho clutch. <laughs> Or maybe she's not even grabbing. That's the weird thing about her is she's really hard to tell. Um, so if that's the case, that would produce 43.75% Kalatoa, 50% Slayer, Platinums, Normals, all 100% Het Annery. And then if the, the Morph Gods are in my favor or in our favor, we'll produce Visual Annery and Platinum Anneries. That Especially with Slayer. Like, I, I cannot... I, number yeah. one, even if she doesn't, I can't wait to see what the Platinum with the Slayer influence does. It's going to be pretty awesome. Um, So that's three so far. I have my uh, F1 Philippine girl that I'm working with Rodney on. Rodney was amazing and, and sent me a pair of Philippines to work with. And we cut out a deal to where they're by animals, but... We are agreeing to do pairings, and there are going to be some partnership pairings um, for her first couple clutches. And um, she is slowing down massively with her food response, and I palpated her the other day and felt about 16 lumps. Um, and so she seemed a lot further along than I thought. Um, for those of you that... And how, how big is this uh, F1 she's Philippine about, girl? 
nine feet. Okay, cool. She, so she's nice. And yeah, smart. I mean, um, Rodney's a big uh, believer that the Southern Philippines. She's from a. She's from Mindanao and like a Southern Philippine, like is a, a little yeah. island off the mainland that. Um, you know, they don't get as big as the Northerns that you see a lot of the tribal stuff in, but we, we have limited information on that. So they could end up a medium sized retic or they could be monsters. But, uh, you know, he has wild caught and some F1 grown ups and, and, you know, I think the wild caught females 13 feet. Um, so yeah, pretty medium, almost the layer. Yeah. So, um, I have a couple of options that I could do with her. I'm leaning more heavily on one, but I'd like for you guys to drop comments down below what you guys think. Um, I want to pair by TK male Kalatoa so I can uh, use the Philippine color, those oranges and silvers and reds, and add color that some of the Kalatoas lack oftentimes um, while shrinking down the animal sizes um, and use, you know, have a 50% Philippine, 50% Kalatoa baby. Um, and so technically because of the industry standard, they would be considered superdwarfs because they're, they're 50%. Um, and then, you know, hopefully this medium size Southern Philippine, uh, you know, I think that those are going to make some manageable size, not small, but manageable size retics that I think are, would be a good investment for people that want to, um, see more color in the superdwarf stuff that they can then take to morphs. Sorry, getting my laptop charger. I realized it wasn't plug in. Um, and then I have another option of putting a 50% Tom Long and Phantom with her. Okay. So that's that's also really nice. A lot of good color on yeah. both of them. Um, I think the, the babies would look outstanding. The only trade-off there is size. Now we're going from mm-hmm. what would be 50% Superdor, 50% Philippine to now 25% Tombalongan, which is already a debate if it's a Superdorf or not. Superdorf or Dorf. Yep. People in the UK say Superdorf. Um, but so now it would only be 25% that and 50% um, Philippine. But I, I think they would produce really phenomenal looking uh, uh, phantoms. I think if you're asking me personally, the TK boy sounds mm-hmm. more appealing. Me too. Uh, it, it is reminiscent almost of the Ternate Kalatoa crosses that uh, Rodney's doing, and those are some of my favorite crosses I've ever seen as far as locality retake yeah. cross goes. Um, and, and me being just like a locality nerd, and that's what I love, I do want to play with crossing you know, all these, you know, I have eight localities. And so I do want to plug and play and cross and play and see what, what wild types that I can really bring out while trying to just, you know, I have the Kayuati and the Kalatoas and a jamp, an anery jamp that's a baby, but down the road that I can use to kind of work with reducing size with some of the other uh, localities that I have. And yeah, um, so yeah, that's that's the fourth pairing. Uh, fifth pairing that I have is is not like a super door pairing. It's this is like a strictly business pairing. Um, I have my ocelot male that I got from Aubrey Pruitt, um, and he is sixty six percent pos het indo caramel. And so Rodney sent me over a mainland tiger female that she's a proven breeder. She's six years old. She had her first clutch last season. Um, and she's a, a tiger, 100% het endocarmel. So he's going to be paired to her. And if that goes well, um, you know, the, the the goal there is to be able to prove him het caramel. Um, because if he does prove het endocarmel, that's going to change my entire scope of what I use him for, for my Superdorf stuff moving forward. If I can confirm that, then that's that's a game changer. So, um, that's that's a smart, but also a long long play as far as uh, what you can do with him. I mean, a lot of people getting into super dwarf breeding and also the ocelot project, they want to automatically just shrink down. But if you're if you have hets and you can prove out those hets first, 
that's almost yeah. a better play. Yeah, so that that's that's the goal there. So I'm I'm gonna obviously I'm gonna be using him with my other locality stuff. Um but if I can prove him out early on, uh, which was kind of the idea with this, I mean, and if I can get a mainland male that it's a visual tiger endocarmel, hundred percent het ocelot. Ocelots are known for having some pretty good visual markers on their hets. So I, I could take that male to, you know, a Kalatoa or whatever the case may be and try to spot out the, you know, ocelot markers and try to, you know, cheat and have some shortcuts to eventually make 50% Superdorf Tiger Caramel Ocelots. <laughs> yeah, but you're still talking multi-generational breeding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anytime you're working with double recessives, it's a long game. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, um, so that was the fifth that I mentioned. Yeah, that was the fifth, the fifth that I mentioned. And then the six is probably going to be a 2023 pairing that I'm ramping her up now. But, um, uh, my turn eight female is about three and a half years old. So, um, I'm going to be getting her ready to go. Hopefully turn of the year, she's ready. And, um, it was really hard for me to make this decision, but I think the I'm most excited to see what a turnate ocelot looks like. So ocelot male is going to be going to her. Um, and so again, not a very tiny project, but I, my, my whole goal of getting the ocelot was with all the female pure localities I have. I really just want to selectively breed for what locality is going to produce the coolest looking ocelots. And I secretly think it's going to be turnate. So, um, or Halmahera, but I'm I'm a long way out from getting my my little three month old Halmahera female ready. So, um, so yeah, those are the six. So five pairings will happen in 2022. The six will happen early 2023 if she shows those signs. But, um, yeah. So going from only one clutch the last two years to now planning breedings for four to five animals. Um, has been uh, very exciting, but also very, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to remember, a lot to keep track. It's a lot of food. Uh, well, and I think you're you're really on top of all of your husbandry, especially during breeding time, making sure everything's meticulous, making sure you're taking notes of everything you're doing, so... Yeah, it's a, a lot more work when you're adding even one or two more snakes to, into that mix. Yeah. So I could imagine. Yeah. I think the one that I'm looking forward to the most is the one that I just did, which is the Kaiwadi that the eggs are on the ground. Uh, that's. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people are able to successfully breed Kaiwadi, and there hasn't been pures in a little while. Yeah. So. I- you know, uh, Samson Pruitt produced a, a pure clutch in 2018 and then 19 and then Garrett did his in 2020. But at, those are the three pairings each of those years that um, I think prior to that, uh, it had been probably almost 10 years. Um, yeah, three clutches in the entire yeah. U.S. Try to find try to find something yeah. on morph yeah. market right now. That's it. So, um, but aside from the, just the rarity of that um, is that she was the first retake I got. So I, 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 she was born in February. I got her May of that year. So I've had her since she was three months old. Um, and so I've really got to just raise this tiny little snake that fit in the palm of my hand. Now to, I got that experience of seeing her lay on a clutch and pull that clutch. And now that clutch is looking beautiful. Yep. It was a very, um, yeah, just whole, Greatest yeah, I, I'm going to want to hold back every single baby, but, um, yeah, uh, that it's, yeah, <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm 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 really excited for that. Yeah, I think I think that's one of my most exciting pairings for you this season too. I'm I'm really excited to see what those babies look like. Just what's to come with that clutch? Uh, who ends up getting into that project? Uh, what your holdbacks end up looking like? if the head annery thing proves out, that'll be amazing. I'll so t- yeah, I'll tell just... you right now, if the head annery proves out and we have anneries between me and Theron, we'll be, we'll, I'd be shocked if we make one of those available. Um, 
and then oh, yeah. everything else will probably be up for sale. Um, if we don't hit the annery, um, that's okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that either of our animals are not het. That just means that one of them wasn't. So there'll still be chances for me to prove that out later. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think each of us are probably going to hold back about two animals and let the rest go. Is that your cat in the background? Invi- invite him yeah. in. I like when he sits on your lap. What's up, buddy? He's so needy. <laughs> hey, come up here and loud. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I have planned this year, and I'm, I'm in the process of buying a, another large hatchling rack that just in case everything goes well, and if it doesn't, um, I, I at least have room to grow and have plenty of rack space um, to grow and... and um, yeah, I mean, out of all the pairings that I'm doing, I'm not going to lie, I'm still more excited to see possibly albino phantoms. <laughs> hey, yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool to see. Um, the phantom project for me, of course, is chasing the, the white snake, the yeah. cow project, uh, long term. But obviously just working with the, the snow projects that I have, I think it'd be cool to eventually do some snow phantom stuff down the line too yeah yeah i think that um and what's crazy is snow has been around for so long um it's been around for a good while and we're we're just now seeing more influx of you know i know eric lee is leading the way in a lot of morph snows um snow snow king King. um you know i'm surprised it hasn't made its way into more codowns but then again i mean even just like the Superdor Phantoms, they're all over the place now. But I mean, realistically, you could only get your hand on one probably three years ago. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's really exciting stuff. Um, we talked a little bit about breeding changes in the room, a little bit about drought feeding, um, males and females behaviors, our uh temperature changes so like also especially here in utah when it hits kind of that autumn fall time and our temperatures start to change that's when i'm noticing these changes in my females as well it's not just when i'm starting to feed them heavy Uh, i don't know why i didn't touch on that earlier but um right now we're dropping probably 20 30 degrees cooler in the night than we were trending a month or two ago. Um, That combined with storms rolling in, barometric pressure changes, I think that has a lot to do with some of the attitude I get in some of the breeder females and even the male. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'm going to kind of just give my two cents on on that and why that's super important. Um, So, can you breed retics year round? Yeah, you can. Can you solely induce clutches of retics by increasing food? Yes, you can. There's people that do that. However, if you're a first time or a second time breeder, my biggest recommendation is really get to understand where you live and what the temperatures are like when the rainy season is, when the temperatures start to drop, because that is going to significantly help. So, Females like it to be cooler when they're in the process of building follicles. If follicles get too hot, you can ruin those follicles and that, you know, too warm of an environment when a female's building follicles can lead to her not fertilizing those eggs or follicles properly and and can result in unfertilized eggs or slugs or a number of reasons. And um, when I did my only pairing during, um, actually, no. I did two. So two of my female Calatoa, my, my wildcat Calatoa pairings was when I was doing the gradient um, temperatures. And um, yeah, I would, when those temperatures would drop at night I, in my house, I would actually like, you know, I, I would want the house to be cold where the snakes were. Um, your snakes are going to do fine if it gets in the 70s. That, that, that's no problem for them. They're not going to wake up with an RI. They're a little bit more, more tough than berms are. Um, but you know, with, with, 
With that being said, cold weather is what actually helps them when it changes to the rainy season in Indonesia, the temperatures drop a bit and that is their breeding season. So what works for me here in Texas is not going to be the same for what works with, um, what's your name? Nathan. For what works with Nathan in Utah, what it's not going to be the same for what works for, for Garrett in Pittsburgh and what works for Eric Lee in California. And it, it's, it's different and you really need to understand where you live. But the key behind it is when you go through that season change of summer hot weather and then it starts to get rainy towards the end or when it gets rainy and your nights start to get cooler, those are the times that you want to start looking out for behavioral changes and maybe start increasing food a little bit more to get Mm -hmm. the female in the mindset of like, okay, rainy season, it's cooler. I can build follicles. There's plenty of food nearby that I can eat and get what I need in order to breed because it does, it, it, it takes a huge toll on them. So they need to know that they have the surplus of calories, you know, to, to do that. Um, me keeping an ambient right now, I'm running like an 81 and a half to 84 and a half to 85, basically year round. But like, I, I even noticed like, uh, the temperatures dropped a few weeks ago, just real quick when we had a really big spur of, of, uh, really hot days and hot nights at nights, it got cooler and it rained a few times. And I'm over here two, three weeks later, palpating my Philippine female and she's got huge follicles. So even in a controlled environment like ambient, the the external barometric pressure in the atmosphere and the air and the cool temps makes a, a big difference. And do you guys have a big humidity fluctuation during this time of the year? Uh, in San Antonio, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, like when we were just on our hot spurt during the summer, humidity is 30 to 40% outside. And then once fall hits... Even yeah. if we don't have a super rainy fall, once fall hits, humidity's in the 60s, you know, 50s to 70s. Okay. Yeah. So we okay. we can get cool. really humid. Cold enough. Um so that that definitely plays a a big part. Um and <laughs> um so what about like what time of the year for you do temperatures drop? I'm I'm, la- I'm laughing right by the way now. because Nathan just sent me he texted me a picture if he's watching the <laughs> he's watching Utah. <laughs> so if you you don't see I'm wearing my my Utah Ute shirt. There's only there's only one time that I wear that on game day during a Ute. We're recording game. on a Saturday um, night. I'm I'm definitely <laughs> watching the Utes game while while we record, but I am fully here with you guys. Um, <laughs> easy to do that when uh my utes are kicking san diego state's ass uh 35 to 0 currently so um anyways <laughs> oh geez they are crushing them yep yep it's uh, a little embarrassing we had a blowout game last week too so we're just waiting for our pack 12 go football <laughs> yep foosball for the um, what what does it look like in utah for you did we did we talk about that? Uh, so Utah, uh, a little bit, yeah. So right around September, uh, it starts cooling down a little bit. So uh, late August, September is when I do my drought, um, and then start feeding heavy in September. Um, pairings generally start, or intros, I should say, generally start mid October. So I'm planning this year to start uh, doing some intro stuff right around the weekend after Tinley. So second week of October, something like that. Fall is typically the, the, you know, for most of the country, it seems like, you know, hatching season and and breeding season generally happens within the fall. Um, But like I said, breed ticks can breed year round. Um, And you can definitely induce clutches just from feeding. Um, I think that's actually very popular with like keeping an ambient when you have a controlled environment year round and it's the same, I, I mean, you, you definitely can do that. I just, I always like, if you're keeping super dwarf, 
animals in pure Superdorf localities, Kalatoas, things like that, you have to be very careful about solely allowing food to be what you use to breed because it, it does not take a lot to um, overfeed your animal one season and then they don't go off of food and you've been power feed. They, they don't go off of food and decide not to breed that season and you've been hitting them extremely hard for three, four months with food and now you got a sausage link that you got to decide if you're going to cut food back or, or, you know, keep pushing to breed. And then that's when like, you know, sometimes this, this, I, you know, the, the, the breeding envy and the kind of selfishness in us is like, ah, let's just keep feeding and feeding and, and eventually they'll lay eggs. Um, so just be careful with that. Cause I can be a slippery slope for the super door stuff, um, by overfeeding because, um, this is, don't let your pride yeah. get in the way. You want you want healthy animals in the end of the day. Do you really need an unhealthy animal to try to push for eggs? That's that's not the kind of uh, keeping that we should be promoting. Yeah, so, I mean, I... in my opinion, I I think if you're not getting an animal to back off food, back yeah, off food. yeah, it's not time. And again, these snakes are going to tell you when they are ready. They're going to go when they go, no matter what, because retakes I've gone with like minimal calories and they already look super skinny and don't look ready to breed. And all of a sudden they're off of food and, yep. and they're, you know, you got to remember in the wild, they're a lot more lean than what we're used to seeing in captivity. So they can definitely breed lean. Um, so just, yeah, be, be, uh, just be very cautious of that, um, this is just a personal opinion that I'll make public and, and anybody who um, any of the breeders that disagree with me can let me know. I'm fine with that. Drop a comment, like subscribe. Um, but I personally think that, you know, Superdors have had a history of not being good breeders uh, for many reasons, um, you know, and, and no one's really, it's not a factual thing on why, but I think a lot of reason why a lot of Superdors in the past have gotten egg bound and have struggled with having fertile and really good healthy clutches like you see in mainlands that, you know, that we, you know, the community has down to nearly a science now. It's, I think a lot of those animals originally were fed like they were mainlands, and a lot of them were just overweight um, and weren't having good clutches. Um, remember, thousands of years of evolution and a lack of food source is why these quote-unquote superdwarf exist. And so to go against what their evolution has contributed and what's led to their existence of these smaller animals by just pounding them with food and getting them thicker and bigger is kind of going against like their whole like genetics, right? I mean, that I'm not a scientist by any means. This is bro science that I'm talking about and just like a theory. So don't don't take this as cold, hard science. This is just me sharing what what. But it is an important thing yeah, to think about. Exactly. It's just one of those factors. Um, you have these animals through evolution with minimal food on an island, um, and, and that's caused them to shrink down. And so we have them in captivity, and we can choose to reverse evolution. So to say, it would take thousands of years to probably get them back into really big animals. But, um, you know, if evolution can shrink down the animals with a lack of food because they were isolated on small islands for whatever Pangea or whatever theory you want to believe in or the ocean swept them there. Um, we can, or storms. Or storms yeah. We can yeah. certainly do the opposite over the same span of time. We obviously probably won't ever get to that point, but nonetheless, um, you know, these animals have been able to exist and thrive off of less food. Therefore the, I don't think the solution to getting them to breed is to have, uh, you know, chunky superdors. Yeah. Fat snakes. I've seen kill a snake before. I mean, you're, you're just going to look at health issues just like you would yeah. a human. Yeah. And again, I'm speaking solely on the superdorf islands, those localities, uh, because I mean, don't get me wrong. There's obesity in mainland animals. I think there's been yeah, I was gonna say you get a you get a fat mainland, you get the same thing. But um, I've see it all the time, honestly, and yeah. it's sad. Um, but I've also seen some really big mainlands push out, you know, fifty eggs year after year, and you know, and and again, I think there's, I think 
science has a lot to catch up on the differences between these smaller islands and these larger islands. And, and I don't think that using food solely to get your Superdorf islands, your Kalatoa, Madus, Karampas, and even your Kaiwadis are, um, are, is, is a safe, good way to get your snake to breed. So that's why it's important for you guys to just be aware of what your weather is like in your area and use nature outside to help you. At least in not in what we've seen, right? So, I mean, we've seen uh, big animals produce clutches where the there's no veins, they have hard time uh, developing calcium. It's just one thing after another. And then you'll see a nice lean but toned animal push out a nice set of pearly white eggs and candle yeah. well. I know, I know when you uh, slimmed down your Kalatoa and got her to a nice tone, you had a lot higher success rate as far as uh, the healthy eggs that came from her, what was candling well, how they were developing. So Yeah, I got her to cut down seven pounds from the time that I received her and then had that very first clutch. Um, For a Kalatoa animal, seven pounds is yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah, she's like nine and a half feet. Um, and yeah, so to get her to cut down a good amount. And um, so, um, and, and just like to be fully transparent, the seven pounds that I got her to cut down, um, both times that I weighed her when I got her and throughout. So when I got her, I weighed her with me getting on a scale and then holding her, right? So not the most accurate representation, but then me a year, you know, prior to her breeding her second year, me getting on the scale, getting my weight, um, and we won't talk about my weight, um, and then holding her, there was a, a you know, a six, there, I think I called it seven, I can go back in my records if I need to, I'm going to say seven pounds, but it was like 6.7 or something like that. Um, so yeah, sure. I got her to reduce and her fertility rate was better. Um, she never had egg bound issues either of those years. Um, uh, and, but yeah, I mean, it did work better the second year off the bat. Um, so take that for what it is. Yeah. I mean, could just be luck of the draw, but in my opinion, I think it has a lot to do with the health of the animal. That's just my yeah. opinion though. Um, all right. I think this was a good discussion. You got anything else you want to touch on? No, man, we went through all of our pairings, even though we don't have a ton going on. We have a handful of some fun stuff going on. I know it's kind of a stray from what we usually do on the retic lounge, but figured we'd give you guys a little bit of insight since we're still uh, in our first handful of years and to pairing these animals and trying to be successful at breeding. So trying <laughs> just wanted to have you guys along with the yeah. ride and at the very least i feel like there was some good informative information in there that you guys can take for for what it is um how i would recommend you guys take the information that we're providing is put it in a bank of information that you get and then also seek guidance from other people and and use the group of information you get from us from other breeders from your mentors whoever that is and and start to formulate your own theories and start to work on on taking pieces that you see fit your narrative to, to have a successful, um, experience. I mean, that's what I've done and it's, it's worked out so far. I mean, I've had, you know, several mentors over the last four and a half years and I don't do anything. Yeah. I don't do anything exactly how one of those mentors does it. I took the information from all of them and I kind of just have made up my own thing. So take our information for what it is what it's worth to you and go seek second, third, fourth, fifth opinions. And if, if what you guys are observing is working for you on what we have said here, use it. If it's not, that's totally okay. Absolutely. Uh, remember everyone support us arc, uh, go ahead, like comment, subscribe on the YouTube videos. If you're listening on an audio platform, make sure to, uh, subscribe and rate the podcast. Uh, as well, we have our Discord and Patreon community. 
Uh, Discord is available for any of the tier levels as well. We have some extras for some of the higher tier levels, just uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff and just a little bit more access to what Lucas and I are doing. So join us over there at Patreon, the retake. Right. So right now we time. are, I'm, I'm oh. sorry. I just, I wanted to, so everyone hey, who has joined our Patreon can't thank you enough. Um, we're going to be working on getting a slide to thank all of our Patreons so that you guys are on at the end of each episode and your names are there, but we're recording September 17th. I think we launched like five or six weeks ago and we're already up to 23 Patreons. Um, and so for all of you that are supporting us, you guys are, are we can't thank you enough. Um, we are talking daily, nearly every day on how we can continue to improve it and make, um, make your support for us worth it. And um, we have a lot of cool members on there that are anywhere from owning retics for a, a handful of years to just barely getting their first super dwarf and the conversations on there have been great so uh, I, i've just been blown away with uh how how the community has grown just within the month and a half two months that we've yeah. been launched so on that you guys have a good night good morning good afternoon whatever time you're listening to this we'll catch you on our next episode of see you